from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I can go to a gallery or, or a museum and say, oh, here's work that I respond to. Here's work that I find is interesting. How do you, what's the difference when a collector looks at a piece and says, this is something that I might want to purchase? It's very forceful. It uses some language that may, may offend some people. But the point of the piece is that throughout your life, our lives, um, you need to pay attention. You're not looking in at those words. You're, right. you're already there. Right. Those <laughs> words don't come at you very fast. And that's, that's the elegance of Bruce Nauman. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. A new exhibition of work by contemporary American artists is on view at St. Louis Art Museum. Much of it deals with social issues. Some of it pushes some artistic boundaries. It includes drawings, photographs, and one sculpture that comes with its own sound effects. It's a U.S. military gas can fashioned into a television set tuned to some strange frequency. The exhibition is called Catching the Moment, Contemporary Art from the Ted L. and Marianne Ellison Simmons Collection. You may recognize those names. Marianne is the artist behind Wildwood Press in St. Louis. Ted was the Cardinals switch-hitting catcher from 1968 to 1980, and he was just inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame last year. So congratulations for that, Ted. Thank you a lot. I appreciate uh, it. Ted and Marianne Ellison Simmons, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having yeah. us. Thank you. Yeah. So um, speaking of that, the, the show is called Catching the Moment. So they're making no bones about the fact that a lot of people in this area uh, know you, Ted, for your on-field work uh, and not so much your creative partnership with, with Marianne. Uh, for people who don't know about this whole side of your life, uh, who may who are familiar with you from the field and come to the show, I guess they're getting caught up on what else you've been up to all this time. Well, my wife and I have been collecting for a long time, 25 years or so, and you're right, I'm noted uh, as a former player and recently uh, elected the Hall of Fame. People in context relate to me in that way. Um, this is another side of me and my wife's life together. We've been married a long time and been going down that road a very long time. And um, we've been fairly low-profiled um, for most of our lives. And uh, this coming out, more or less, uh, in the art world is um, not planned, wasn't uh, sought out, but slam, uh, heard about our collecting, approached us. and essentially has made this happen. Mm. And Marianne, I know a lot of the best collectors start out with a very specific interest, and I understand that as a couple, you began collecting early American furniture. How did you wind up getting turned that. on to that? Um, we've been collecting most of our marriage, and um, in the mid-'70s, we, 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 we were contemplating building a house that happened to be a reproduction of a Connecticut salt box. Um, I was ready to go with contemporary furniture, but Ted asked the question, what, what would go in this house? And um, uh, the house in question we saw in Tulsa, Oklahoma, not in New England. And the woman who built that house had a very important, unbeknownst to us, collection of American furniture. 
and that's where we got started. So for from 76 to 88, we collected American furniture. Um, and then we um, changed course and um, built reproduction furniture to fill our house because some of that 18th century furniture was not very safe to have around two great little boys. Yeah, um, I imagine it's not so practical in terms of just furnishing a house. Uh, right, not and, and, and the chairs were a little bit suspect when you put a big old athlete in them. Anyway, um, and then uh, another 10 years elapsed, and, and we, we were sitting down one night, and Ted said, you know, I could probably start studying contemporary art. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, it's so hard to print it. Now we have to collect it. Um, but that was almost 25 years ago, and uh, we have just been quietly entertaining ourselves with this collection. So, Ted, have you been a long-time enjoyer of, of art before you started thinking, hey, maybe this is something we can... Well, I break it down this way. When people ask similar questions of me, I say I was never much on the math and sciences, but on the humanities and the literature side of this world, I was always focused and attuned to it. And then when the aesthetic world opened up to me, I, you know, middle and late teens, um, I saw something that aesthetically was pleasing, and I, was, I would identify with that. So I've always been that kind of person, um, full appreciation for the math and sciences, but wasn't nearly as attuned to that as I was the other side of, of the brain, I suspect. Yeah. And um, I was always attracted to that direction, uh, to that idea. Marion, as, as a fine art printer, uh, does that put you in touch with a lot of different artists that can maybe help transition you into the role of collector? Um, as, a, as, a, as a printmaker, one of the things that printmakers have always done is trade work with other artists. Mm. That, that started to happen in the late 60s in Ann Arbor in art school. So, so yeah, it, it, uh, I knew how to collect. We knew how to collect. We collected great, great um, uh, we, furniture, Staffordshire pottery, Delftware. Um, we knew how to collect, um, and we got some very good advice at the beginning of our collection um, from an important person in our lives, um, David Keel, who actually is a St. Louisan, but longtime curator of prints at the Whitney Museum in New York. And he told us, collect in your generation mm. and find somebody to center and focus that collection on. So we found Kiki Smith, who I admired um, for a very long time. And then we started following her colleagues and her friends um, like a spider web, I think is the way Ted describes that. So that, that was the heart of our collection and the beginning of it. And one of the first pieces uh, the visitor sees when walking to the gallery mm -hmm. is a, a piece of sculpture by Kiki Smith. The Finger Bowl, Finger which uh, Marianne brought to my attention and was really our first, you know, uh, jumping off in the world of contemporary art where um, it was uh, now at the place where if you made a mistake, you felt it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> I meant that some of this stuff can be very costly, expensive, and... Um, you have to make hard decisions when you decide to go uh, and take that leap. 
And it's in that context, I mean that if you take that leap and you're not prepared to make it and you haven't prepared yourself fully, done the research, no one understand the period that you're looking at, um, is this more or less a good, better, best kind of environment? If you're looking at the best, you're pretty safe. Um, but if you jump off and it's kind of good, well, somewhere down the road, you're going to have probably regret having done it because you didn't do the pre-work to mm. put yourself in a place to not make that kind of mistake. Well, I can go to a gallery or, or a museum and say, oh, here's work that I respond to. Here's work that I find is interesting. Mm -hmm. How do you – what's the difference when a collector looks at a piece and says, this is something that I might want to purchase? Well, I, I, I think that, first of all, you have to like the thing. Um, second, as Ted just said, you really do research these artists before you delve in. You might like an artist, you might like a piece, and you find out that that piece is a minor work by that artist. And uh, so we, we tend to head toward major pieces by the artists that we've collected. That's not always the case. But um, yeah, you, 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 you need to understand the work. Um, we don't, we rarely walk into a gallery and go, oh, I like that, let's buy that. We go home and we think about it. Mm -hmm. And research it so you know what you're looking at is, you know, significant in that artist's career. Um, as I say, you know, good, better, best. Uh, an artist has various periods, and they work their way into greatness, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, if you can afford to, uh, you know, collect all the periods, that's great. Collecting good, better, best is outstanding, but most people don't have the luxury of collecting that way. You might pass a good, you might pass a better, maybe four or five times, knowing that there's a best out there, and long term, it's worth the wait. Mm. Marion, you mentioned the, the tradition of uh, exchanging fine art prints in that field. Mm Ted, -hmm. um, were there any advantages to your baseball career that helped you pick up a piece here and there? Well, the, the advantage I had is that by playing baseball, I was going all over the country. Ah. So that was our advantage. I'd be, you know, playing a game in Philadelphia that night, for instance, and, you know, I'd get on the train at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, and, you know, 45 minutes later, I was in Wilmington, Delaware at the Winterthur Museum. I could do the same thing in Boston, the Carroll Collection over there at the Museum of Fine Arts. New York City, all these great places with all the great museums and all the great work. Um, baseball gave me the luxury, luxury of going in the day and playing in the night. Mm. So did friends and teammates know of you as the art guy? No. No. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't part of the trip. I mean, <laughs> you know, they knew me as the catcher. And, you know, when you're focused on you know, night after night of Major League Baseball pursuing world championships. It's tough enough to just keep that organized with players. <laughs> they yeah. like you in context, and getting out of context can uh, uh, be a little rough on folks sometimes. And the public's pretty much like that, too. When they run into me, they want to see me as Ted Simmons, a Hall of Fame player, and that's pretty much how they like it. To inundate them with this, uh, it takes a while. And you went through a whole cycle of, of press last year and the year before when you were actually elected to the Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. the National Hall of Fame Museum. Uh, having this moment with the art, what, is, what, what does that mean to you to be able to show off this part of what you've both been doing? 
it's the pursuit my wife and I, Marianne, have been, you know, it's given us a chance to collect hand-in-hand uh, hand, uh, in an effort to enrich our lives together. We've always been able to kind of hold hands and go as opposed to, you know, I'll go this way, you go that way, we'll come back and everything, you know, hunky-dory. Um, it's given us a, an opportunity to pursue something that's important to us both, um, that enables us both to, to enjoy and go together. Marion, is there a piece in the collection or a, a juxtaposition of pieces or of artists, something that as a collector you saw out there and, and, and brought into the collection that you're just particularly proud of? Yeah, and I, I've said this before that um, my favorite piece, the, what I view as the pivotal piece in the collection, is a piece by Bruce Norman called Pay Attention. And um, it's very forceful. It uses some language that may, may offend some people. But the point of the piece is that throughout your life, our lives, um, it, it, you need to pay attention. And um, over the 52 years we've been married and the other five years that we, we were together before that, we've seen the Cold War in Vietnam and the rise of LGBT. BTQ plus issues and the civil rights issue and um, feminism, all of it, everything. And as we have recently learned, it's really important to pay attention to what's going on and what's coming down the road um, and what you can do about it. So for me, that's the pivotal piece. It was also the one that we chased the longest, I think. Um, one of the things that's really important to us is condition. And oftentimes these works on paper are not cared for. Um, they are damaged. And we passed on two or three of the Norman pay attention prints because the condition was really not good. You have a standard. You've yeah. got to live up. Yeah. And that piece includes the words pay attention that we're seeing as if the, on the other side of a surface that it's written on. Yes. And the thing that strikes me about that is the idea that by the time you see those words, you're already inside in, in some sense. Yes. You're, yeah. You are the audience that is right. being told to. You're not looking in at those words. You're, right. you're already there. Right. Those <laughs> words don't come at you very fast. And that's, that's the elegance of Bruce Nallman. He often uses words just to make marks on paper. This is as close as I think he ever got to being straightforward, and yet the words are all backwards. So, yeah. You mentioned um, gay rights, women's liberation, um, the Vietnam War, the AIDS crisis in the 80s. It's all in the show. How, it's how, all in how, it. how do we see it in the show? How does it manifest? Well, I mean, you take Bruce Conner and Bombhead, you know, nuclear war. Here's Bruce Conner dresses up in a, you know, an officer's uniform, and... Um, you see him from the neck down, and he's an officer in the United States military. From the head up, it's an explosion from the films that he took. And we all saw, as kids, when I say we all, Mary and I, we saw the, you know, the films of the nuclear bombs being set off in the Atoll um, islands, Marshall Islands, and in the South Pacific, when they were practicing to see what this would do, would the nuclear war heads would do, and so that particular is probably the most emphatically stated. Mm. Um, 
you know, the, the you know, World War II, nuclear fission. Um, here you have the military guy, um, and his head's blown off with this film clip from those National Archived films and that some of Bruce Conner got. Some of the work is really subtle. Other work is really right at you. What's um, something else that's that's right in your face? Uh, well, for us, because we understand it, uh, Peter Huger's Candy Darling, uh, the death of a trans woman in the ni- early 70s. Um, uh, she was Andy Warhol's, one of his superstars mm-hmm. in his films, and she was dying. And her friend, Peter Huger, was summoned to take her portrait. Um, and you realize that he must have arrived with an uh, entourage of florists and stylists and makeup artists, and here's this beautiful woman, and then you suddenly realize very subtly she's in a hospital room. Um, uh, David Ronorovich, uh, face in the dirt. He's a Midwest kid. He takes his last road trip. He's dying of AIDS, and he goes out to Chaco Canyon, and a very uh, powerful spiritual Native American spot buries himself in the ground and has a photograph taken almost in a resurrection kind of photograph. And these are all people who are affected by AIDS. Um, yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's through the show. And I, I, I don't want to intimate that there aren't fun things in the show, mm-hmm. abstract things that are more con, con, uh, that, that you can contemplate in front of. that You really don't know what they're about. It doesn't matter what they're about. Um, but there are moments, and it's important to us that those moments um, reflect our collection. Our collection is more or less a chronology of our lives together. Um, at our age, when we first met, through our golden period, more or less, and then now in our you know, um, present state, uh, it, it reflects it all. Well, considering how personal that is, what does it mean to you now to be able to tell someone to walk into St. Louis Art Museum and and see a chunk of this collection? What is that like for you? Either of you have thoughts Lucky boy. Lucky girl. Not everybody gets to do this. We know the impact it's going to have, and we know what it means to us. We're lucky as we can be. Well, if you could have the museum uh, have another exhibition of this, we'd love to have you come on and talk more about this. We'll be glad to do it. I could do this. This is fascinating. Anytime. This this helps us and the museum and everybody a lot. Thanks Mm. so much. I appreciate it. Today's episode was produced by Avery Rogers with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.